Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by both Keaton DeRocher and Bailey Von Schneider for episode 246 of the podcast. You can find Keaton at Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru, and you can find Bailey at like a million different podcasts. So Bailey, <laughs> what's up? How you doing? And uh, you want to tell the people where they can find your work? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm doing really great. Excited to be on. Yeah, you can, of course, find me here um, doing some stuff with Keaton. But then also you can find me at Soxy Chicks, which is through the Pesky Report. I also am on the Pesky Report. You're going to catch me there. I'm going to be getting back into that a little bit. And then I have like a million other things. I Way too much things. Overwhelmingly too much. But you can catch me just at Frawline89. You can follow me on there. And tweeting about pretty much just baseball, but you can check out my movie pods as well. Awesome. Great. Well, glad to have you on the podcast, finally. Uh, I've been listening to the precap. You guys have been doing a great job on that. Uh, Keaton, I I didn't want to give you too many compliments because I know your ego would just get completely (laughs) out of control. But how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Glad we could do old old three-person action on the pod here today. Yeah, always a good time. Uh, that's the, actually the format of the show that uh, this initially was when it was launched uh, like seven years ago. So, um, yeah, it's nice to have the three-man booth here. But let's get right to what we're going to be talking about today. Um, the Red Sox have been on an absolute tear since the last time uh, we potted. Um, so we're going to be talking about the seven-game win streak. Um, we're going to be talking about how they're going to weather the storm injury-wise with Kike Hernandez. 
uh, hitting the IL. And then we're going to be looking at some early season trade targets at uh, the, the area of biggest need for the Red Sox, which is relief pitcher. Mm-hmm. So let's get right to it here. Um, as I mentioned, um, you know, we, we last potted um, this, this show, the Red Seat, on June 1st. Uh, where the Red Sox won a baseball game against uh, the, the the lowly Cincinnati Reds. Uh, and they haven't lost since. So, um, you know, I, I, I certainly credit us for for the win streak. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, but let's start with you, Bailey. Give me one big reason why the Red Sox have been on this tear. What's one thing that you, you've noticed throughout this stretch? Oh, man, uh, for me, the starting pitching has just been so good this stretch. I mean, that start that we just got from Waka the other day, so impressive. Like, the fact is that, like, you know, Waka comes in and, you know, you get all these people just saying, oh, my God, why is Haim getting him? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? It was $7 million. And the fact is that if you get Sale back healthy and you get Paxton back healthy, like, the back half of your season, like, Michael Waka could be, like, quote, unquote, on paper, like your worst starter, which is insane to me given how well he's pitched and just that game he threw was a gem. Just overall, like you have the the complete game from Evaldi, you have the complete game from Pavetta, you have the complete game from Waka. Like I am like so impressed with the starting pitching. It's unbelievable. And like as we will go on, we'll talk about the bullpen being one of the bigger issues. But I love that Core is like letting these guys just go out there and actually pitch these complete games. I'm I love it. I'm I'm so here for starting pitching, these guys going deep in games, and I think that's a big reason why they've just been playing so well lately. Yeah, I mean, if you have a terrible bullpen, just mm-hmm. let your really good starters go nine innings, and then you I don't even it. have to think about the bullpen. That's you like know? galaxy brain shit right there. I love it. <laughs> um, Keaton, what about you? What's your biggest reason for this this seven-game stretch? 100% is the starting pitching. agree with everything that Bailey said. Waka has been tremendous and really kind of like the major part of it um you and i talked a lot about that signing we weren't really sure what we were going to get out of that and even rich hill we weren't sure how many innings we were actually going to get out of rich hill with him and they've both been great um you know hill's had a couple up and down starts but i mean the majority of his body of work this year has been tremendous and he's really been killing it and exactly what you just said jake after walker's start i tweeted that out i was like the best way for the Red Sox to, you know, avoid using a volatile bullpen, a bullpen in these close games is to just not and let the starters finish the game. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be working. So true. Yeah, it definitely has. Uh, that's been definitely the biggest reason. And, and one of the things that I noticed during this stretch, um, especially looking at Nick Pavetta, who's just had maybe the most impressive turnaround of, of any player on this roster from his start to the season till what he's done over the last seven or eight starts here. Um, but Nick Pavetta quietly has like a top five uh, four-seam fastball among all starters in the game right now in terms of its effectiveness, which is it's just crazy. I mean, we all fall in love with the Nick Pavetta curveball um, because when it's on, it's just like one of the prettiest pitches in all of baseball. But his fastball has just been insane, and it's a big reason why he's been dominating I mean, you got to start considering Pavetta for potentially even an all-star nod if he keeps this up. Yeah, I agree. And if you really look at his numbers, his like ERA and his FIP are almost identical. So like he's truly been 
And just the hole that he had to dig himself out of at one point, it was like, at, what, the ERA was at like 19? And he was at a 350 ERA and his FIP is 360. Like, he's just improved. Like, getting himself out of that hole is incredible. And just the fact is that both the FIP and the ERA are nearly identical just proves how well he's actually been pitching. Yeah, man looks good. I'm going to give another reason, though, for, for why the Red Sox have been dominating during this stretch. Um, so... The offense has been really solid over this stretch as well. Um, Rafael Devers, no surprise here. (laughs) Six games played during this seven-game winning streak. Has a 175 WRC plus with a 583 slugging percentage during that time. Um, Just tremendous stuff from him. Um, Mm -hmm. But Alex Verdugo is is a guy who I wanted to mention here because Verdugo has been absolutely snake-bitten by some really terrible luck. Uh, this year, the, the batted ball data on him has has been much more favorable than what we've seen coming out in the slash line. But over this seven game stretch, he's really broken out 370, 452, 481 uh, slash line with a 173 WRC plus. Um, so, you know, shout out to him for sort of battling through all of that adversity and, and really breaking out here. And he's actually walked at a 9.7% clip and been striking out at a 6.5% clip during that stretch. So uh, a little bit of Mookie Betts-like uh, production from, from Alex Verdugo. We love yeah, to see only it. Yeah, player, only player on the roster there that has more walks and strikeouts in the last seven games. That's pretty yeah. impressive. It is. And and then, you know, it's the, the, the other uh, cast of characters, as you expect. Uh, Xander Bogarts over a 150 WRC+, plus, of course. Um, J.D. Martinez, Trevor Story playing well. But Jackie Bradley Jr. is the other surprise. He's played four games, um, 133 WRC+. Plus. Um, we, we did get a listener question about Jackie Bradley Jr. and, and his performance. Um, you know, are you guys kind of believing what we're seeing from Jackie this year, that he is back to being a relatively useful offensive player, um, albeit not a great one, like... Let's start with you, Keaton. I mean, do you think that the Red Sox, especially here now that um, Enrique Hernandez has gone down with an injury, I mean, are they in a good position with Jackie Bradley Jr. there to kind of weather that storm? No, no. I still would prefer him to be a fourth outfielder and just utilize the defense um, and get him – you know, maybe two starts a week versus six. I'd feel a lot better about that. And then getting someone who uh, is more offensively minded. Like, so the the question specifically calls out how impressive uh, his batting average was in May and how what his overline, overarching line looks like now. Uh, he's up to 228 on the batting average. OBP is still... Uh, 282, pretty far below 300, and his uh, WRC plus 78. That's not a great line. Um, I mean, the defense is obviously leading the way. That's why he's there. Uh, and I think you just kind of need to play him to his strengths. Uh, and I think particularly with what we know, uh, <laughs> the inconsistencies of the bottom of this order, if we can get a, an outfielder who can be a much more of an offensive anchor down there, uh, and then just utilize JBJ's defense in late innings and as a fourth outfield rotation guy, I'd feel way better about that. 
Yeah, I agree with you, Bailey. I mean, he's he's rocking a seventy eight WRC plus, which is a big, um, you know, improvement over the thirty five that he had last season <laughs> with Milwaukee, which was just, oh my god, it was just miserable. He was striking out at almost a thirty one percent clip last year, so he's cut that down to twenty point three percent, and he seems to be having better at bats here. But I mean, we we withstood. Three full seasons of Jackie Bradley Jr. in 2017, 2018, and 2019, where he was basically at a 90 WRC plus, but playing excellent defense. The defense has probably come down a little bit since he's now 32 years old. It's still excellent, but I mean, are you with Keaton that this is, you know, it's best that this guy's a, a defensive replacement, or do you have a little bit more trust that maybe we can? get back to those 2020 levels uh, of production from JBJ. I don't think we're going to see a shortened 2020 season type from him maybe ever because the best season that he's ever had was in 2015 when he had a 123 WRC+. Plus. Um, but there is like an incredible aspect to him that even – you know, in 2016, he was a, he was a little above average with a 118, but he had a 5.6 WAR, and that was simply because of how great his defense is. And even in you know 2018, when he had a 90, he had a 3.4 WAR. Again, it's because the defense is just absolutely incredible, and the things that he still is doing, of course, like you do say, is a little bit older. He's 32, but like something will get hit out there and I'll be like, oh, it seems like it could get a little dicey. And I'm like, no, no, he has it. And he has it. So I would love to be able to be like, oh yeah, you can run him out there as part of your outfield. But like the thing was in like, let's say 2017, 2018, you had Mookie Betts out there and then you had a Benintendi that was slightly above average. So you could sort of run with you know, a 90 WRC plus from, you know, one of the best defensive outfielders in the game. So it made it a little easier. I don't necessarily think that we can run that out there now, given what we have, especially Verdugo struggling, but hopefully getting a little bit better. And then Kike going down, um, you know, and hitting the IL. I, I just don't know. I think he's more at this point in his career. Like I agree with Keaton, maybe that fourth outfielder with just still the incredible defense that's going to help save you some games. But he is just a streaky hitter. He's always been a streaky hitter. Even, you know, we we don't win the ALCS in 2018 without him. But, like, yeah, he had that grand slam. But I'm pretty sure he had, like, two hits that whole, like, thing. They were they were extremely impeccably timed. But, like, let's also not forget it was, like, he still wasn't great in that series outside of that one hit. So I've always had this, like, love-hate relationship for him. Like, when he did leave us after 2020, I was, like, the sigh of relief. And then he immediately gets traded back to us, and I'm like, oh, my God. So it's so difficult, but I think he's more of a a fourth outfielder at this point. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you're both right that he's best served as being a fourth outfielder and a defensive replacement late in games. But I also think the other aspect of – of JBJ that's just so incredibly valuable is the fact that he's just been a stalwart here for so long. You know, he did have that little stint in Milwaukee, but he's clearly very comfortable here. He's he's such a professional. Um, and I think that having that type of, you know, human being on the on the roster as sort of a, uh, a stabilizing force in the locker room as well as in the, the outfield is just a huge thing. So I've always been a huge JBJ fan, uh, even though the 
the the streakiness uh, can be absolutely maddening. Sometimes I want to pull what's left of my hair out mm-hmm. when I'm watching him. Um, but you know, it's just uh, it's a pleasure to watch him play defense, and especially as he ages. The thing that you appreciate most about him is it's not just raw athleticism. Like the dude just has an unbelievable sense of where to be when the balls hit, and mm-hmm. you know you can really tell this when you're actually at Fenway watching him. But he starts moving sometimes even before the batter makes contact with the ball to the right spot. I don't know. His, his brain is like some sort of a supercomputer that is designed to just run down baseballs. Um, mm-hmm. But he doesn't need to be that fast. He just like, dude knows exactly where he needs to be all the time. Yeah, it's the, it's the best defense I've ever seen, truthfully. And yeah, Mookie was great and right. Cool, that's fine. Jackie Bradley Jr. is still a better defensive outfielder than, like, Mookie Betts is. And it's, like you say, if he, like, those, like, those, those, oh, shit catches where you're like, oh, they catch it, but then you realize that they were, like, placed improperly, so then they had to make that sort of diving incredible catch. He doesn't really do those because he's there already. And yeah, like, you mean, right, like, all 2021 Renfro? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, that's the truly impressive nature of Jackie Bradley Jr. that you don't appreciate. You're like, oh, he made that catch. It's like, yeah, he didn't need to make this crazy stylized. Yeah, sure, he'll do them occasionally because sometimes you don't always get the 100% great read. Or usually, if you notice, the incredible catches that he makes are like, he had to kind of jump up and grab it and steal it back. And that's because he knew exactly where he was. And, of course, he had a jump because he's just not tall enough. You know, that's not <laughs> a bad read on anything. That's just a, I need to time this perfectly. And he times it perfectly. Yeah, it's pretty that remarkable. Was always, that was always a frustrating thing for me about why he didn't win a gold glove every single year. People are like, yeah. well, he's just not flashy enough. It's like, because he, he makes, he's always there. He's right goddamn there every <laughs> single time. <laughs> He's doing his job better than everybody else, more efficiently exactly. than everybody else. Yeah. Meanwhile, Hunter Renfro dives all over the field for everything. You got, um, uh, you know who's the, the biggest diver who I can think of is uh, that dude out in Oakland, uh, Ramon Laureano. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a good outfielder, but the dude makes average catches look like, you know, something crazy. I was uh, thinking Kevin Pillar makes mm-hmm. a lot of diving catches. Yeah, Kevin Pillar definitely does, but at least he's good on the metrics. Luriano's just True. like a maniac. He throws his body <laughs> everywhere. He's on the IL every five minutes. He's shooting up with roids. He's doing all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, um, <laughs> getting suspended. Yeah. yeah, he's 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 a maniac. Um, but let, let's let's uh, switch over to, to talking Kike here. Kike's really come out of his slump uh, recently, but as I mentioned, he just went on the IL. The Red Sox had a corresponding move here on Wednesday, calling up Jonathan Arauz to fill his spot. Um, unfortunately, they weren't able to bring up Durant since he was just sent down mm-hmm. uh, two days earlier. But uh, Bailey, who do the Red Sox turn to here to kind of fill in this absence? We talked about jbj but you know there's there's certainly going to be more of a trickle down effect on this roster especially since the red sox have chosen to you know continue to go with a three-man bench and that's only going to feel even shorter now yeah uh with with jbj playing every day yeah yeah like you said jbj is going to be out there every day are they gonna you know are they going to be trying to move in like arroyo a little bit more into the outfield even though that's been a little scary and it's not i don't fault arroyo for any of it because 
he's been put in these situations. It's like, oh, go play first base. You've never played it before, and you tear your groin apart. And then it's like, oh, go play, like, right field, you know, especially at Fenway, one of the most difficult things in the world, and you've never done this before. And, oh, you're kind of not great at it because you've never done it before. So I just feel like the yanking that they've done with Arroyo feels like unfair at this point so it's like do we settle on saying okay we want to play you know arroyo more every day and start getting him him reps out there which i mean probably makes sense you're playing him in right you're putting um you know jackie in center and then of course you have arroyo i mean no then you have uh, verdugo out and left so like is that what we're going to be sort of playing with i feel like that's safer than almost anything especially since we can't bring duran up for what 10 days i think at this point so are we just are we holding water over the next 10 days and to bring duran back up but at the same time is kike going to be ready like i'm not sure exactly how long this aisle stint will be for him so yeah it does it seemed like it was poorly timed because duran would have just been perfect if we you know hadn't just but then i got a hindsight is 2020 like we didn't know that kike was gonna get hurt um so I don't know. I mean, a part of me is like, are, are they going to start just giving Arroyo more chances? And I'm for that. Maybe give him these more chances. Because, like, truly, who else is going to be playing outfield? I don't want to see, like, Bobby Dahlbeck out there. Like, like you know, I think that's pretty much what your outfield is going to sort of look like until Kike's back. Yeah, it is interesting because, um, you know, one of the things that's, that's going to happen here on the 20th uh, of June coming up is that all the teams are going to be required to move to 13 pitchers. Uh, and that's right around the time that Kike is going to be eligible to come back from mm-hmm. the the ten day IL. So, but also at that time, you know, you're going to be able to make a move for Duran and, and send back down RAUs if you want to use mm-hmm. uh, Christian Arroyo in that um, middle infield position uh, where it seems like he's best suited. So, yeah. um, you know, Keaton, what do you think they're going to end up doing here with the roster? Um, you know, now that you know, Bailey spelled it out perfectly with, with Christian Arroyo. He's much better as an infielder because that's what he is. Um, so does it make sense then if you're going to have to have a four-man bench to have uh, Duran and JBJ as part of that bench, uh, you know, as as outfielders who can kind of move around a little bit? Yeah, well, I think Franchi's going to be the guy that, gets, that picks up the outfield spot and then Dahlbuck plays first every day. Um, Gross. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And then Arroyo just basically is your emergency outfielder, which I think I'd rather have. I mean, at least I guess I'm kind of hoping this is. I hope Arroyo isn't getting everyday outfield. I hope he's just your emergency outfield guy. And they're basically just going to roll with, like, infield bench guys until basically you can bring Duran back, I guess is how I would roll with it because I don't. I don't know about everyday Arroyo in the outfield versus everyday Dahlbuck at first. I mean, it's not the options aren't great, <laughs> but I, I guess that's kind of how I would shake that out. And then cutting down to 13 pitchers, I mean, you have a note in there that, um, like, that it, sh- it shouldn't be difficult to cut someone from this bullpen. Uh, it's not great. So I, I, that part I don't think is going to be difficult. Uh, even if you have to cut two... Uh, from the bullpen to get back to the the four man bench, um, bringing Duran and Kike back from when he's eligible, it shouldn't be super difficult uh, to do that. I mean, Ryan Brazier is still there. You and I spent uh, an absurd amount of time talking about Sawamura on the last pod, 
um, that's two guys that they could probably bounce, right? Yeah. Uh, I hate Ryan Brazier's face just for everybody's... Uh, <laughs> I, I concur with this. <laughs> it's so bad to look at. Uh, we do have yeah. a little bit of breaking news here as we are on the podcast. Hansel Robles has been activated and has uh, pushed Phillips Valdez uh, to the bench. So the the two duds uh, who remain on, in the bullpen are uh, Hirokazu Sawamura and Ryan Brazier. And I am... Uh, Big time team Sawamura over over Brazier, so that would be the guy who I would cut um, when they have to shrink this down to thirteen pitchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what say you two about uh, between those two guys? Oh, Brazier gone. Yeah, I think I'm on the the Brazier's like is one of the straightest fastballs I've ever seen in my life. So if he's not pumping <laughs> in there like ninety eight plus, like you're just gonna get teed off and. I've, I've never been a Brazier fan. Yeah, I know he did good things in 2018 for us. Sure, thank you. But I'm also a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of person. So, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's bad. Like, I don't think he's good. <laughs> no, and, and the, the batted ball data uh, very much supports your theory that he is quite bad. Uh, he's like <laughs> one percentile in everything that's important for a pitcher. Yeah, um, I'm so, checking the savant right now because I yeah. really want to see what it looks like visually in front of my face. It's gonna be oh, it's so much blue. The only oh, thing is he does cold. is he, he doesn't. <laughs> the only thing he does is he doesn't walk people, and he has a, a decently fastball. But if your fastball is yeah. fast, it doesn't matter. If it's straight, it doesn't matter how fast it is. Like yeah, he doesn't walk people because he. <laughs> The reason he doesn't walk people is because they hit him instead. Because he's <laughs> a give him a chance pitcher. to throw four balls. Yeah, exactly. Because they've already teed off of it. Like like Garrett Cole threw like ninety six and it was straight down the pipe and it got demolished. It doesn't matter how fast it is. Major league hitters yeah. are gonna catch up to your ninety eight straight down the pipe. Like. Yeah. Yep. He's uh, yeah, you know bad. where they should they should use Ryan Brazier in the home run derby this year. Uh, oh for, man, uh, yeah, absolutely. And then yeah, I want to just go. take a peek at Sawamura's savant too. Like I feel like it's it's not great either, but I feel like it's it's slightly more encouraging than it's better. You know that Brazier's given us. You know, and if it's this like, is your worst person, I'm fine with it. Yeah, the difference between the two profiles is like. You know, looking at uh, Brazier is like staring into the dead of winter. And uh, Sawamora is like a, a March day where it's starting to melt a little bit. So um, it's not great, but mm-hmm. it's there. I'm also a big fan of how Roster Resource lists the Red Sox with five closers. Hey, yeah. we thought we didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> they have more closers than like regular relief pitchers listed. It's I get a kick out of that. Is it time for the Who's the Closer t-shirt to come oh, out? Oh, good lord. No. <laughs> He's the closer? He's the closer, yeah. It's like, oh, oh god. god. How bad was Matt Bonds doing, too? I really want to look at that one. Oof. What oh, has happened lord. to Matt Bonds? That should be the, the biggest question in life. Yeah, like, he's... Oh, that's he's terrible. Terrible, that's, yeah. Oh, my god, that is... Whoo. Yep. Oh, yeah, not he's good. not even there. So when he comes back, we'll have six closers listed. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. It is so bad. Well, speaking but... of being so bad, though, uh, <laughs> the, the thing that we are going to get to right now is early season trade targets at Relief Pitcher. And the guys who we listed out here are really late-inning options who are on 
bad teams at this point. Yeah. And, you know, the unusual thing, well, I guess it's not unusual, but it's a little bit more unusual than, than most years. And, you know, we've been doing this, this section for the last six or seven years or whatever uh, on this show, but there's just a tremendous consolidation of talent on the top teams in the major leagues right now, and especially with, with the third wild card, um, there are, are generally fewer sellers than, than there usually are. So the teams that we're going to highlight here are Detroit, Kansas City, Texas, Seattle, Washington, Arizona, Pittsburgh, and the Chicago Cubs uh, for relief pitcher targets here. So let's go ahead and start with Detroit. Uh, Detroit has two guys who I thought might be uh, decent fits for the Red Sox, both left-handed pitchers. Andrew Chaffin and Gregory Soto. Uh, Chaffin's got a two-year deal for $6 million in 2022, so obviously that would be truncated in, in smaller money than that. $7 million in 2023, and uh, Gregory Soto is ARB eligible through 2025, so a lot more team control there. Uh, do either of those guys interest either of you? I mean, if you if you look at Shafin, like he's his FIP is is pretty decent. Like he has like a one nine three FIP, but then if you go back and you sort of like look at you know the the metrics of him, it's 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 not super great. Um, so it's like I don't know if like you know the idea of like Soto was is I think Soto potentially has a little bit more going for him but i don't know it's so tough it's just like you know six million you know really isn't super bad but like even if you look at some of like some of even some of soto's like like it's just kind of ugly it's like certain like you know expected eras in the 26th percentile like you know slugging 27th percentile like his fastball is great he's got a 98 percentile fastball but i don't know maybe it's like you know you get somebody here and they start working with bush and next thing you know they're pitching great so who knows but yeah either one of those i don't know it's tough it's tough to be like you know i would say i would go more soda because he's a little younger you know we're 27 as opposed to 32 if we're talking about those two in Detroit, and especially with, you know, the um, arbitration eligibility, you have a little more control with Soto. So I feel like if I'm looking at either of them, I'm probably leaning more towards Soto. Yeah, he, the uh, the two of them, I mean, Soto definitely has the better stuff. Fastball, mm -hmm. sinker, slider combo for Soto. Um, fastball and sinker both come in around 98 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Slider's at 89, but it's been getting hit real hard this year. Uh, Chaffin's a little bit more of a finesse pitcher. He's got a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, 90-mile-an-hour sinker, and a uh, slider that's a little bit more sweepy. He comes in at 82. Um, they're kind of opposite pitchers because Soto, as you mentioned, has the big fastball. It's been pretty mm -hmm. effective. Chaffin has a really good slider, and his fastball hasn't been great. So, um, you know, I think my other big question is, is um, you know, and, and I'm going to direct this towards you, Keaton, here. These are the only two lefties on my list. That is on purpose because I feel like the Red Sox already have kind of a lot of lefties in their bullpen. So do you feel like, um, you know, that either of these guys would be a good fit? Do they really need to add another lefty? Well, first, I hate to be that guy, but it is pronounced Chafin. Oh, does um, he say Chafin? I'm it chafing is. right now. Oh. Oh, that's a sad day. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I actually I like both of these guys. Um, and I think they both would fit. I don't think you need to be too concerned about the lefty thing. Um, I think, I mean, so it's kind of funny because we went through last year basically like, where's the lefty, right? And now we're like, is it too many lefties? So it's kind of funny how that that piece is swung. But I'd rather just get good relievers and then you just kind of figure out the righty-lefty thing once you have good relievers. And right now I think that the biggest issue is not necessarily right hand or left hand. It's just getting good relievers to close out games. Um, that's the bigger issue to me. So I'm not necessarily concerned about righty or lefty. But both of these guys are really interesting. I'm The interesting thing with Soto is his strikeouts are like super down this year, which is kind of off for him. Uh, but he's made really awesome improvements on his walks, which is good to see. And so I wonder if that's just related um, in the, I mean, he just cut his walk rate like almost in half, which is really hard to do, especially for a reliever. Uh, and so I wonder if that's just kind of some residual focus of like where he's putting his effort that his strikeouts have come down based off of just the strategy of uh, how he's put his focus into his walks. And because it doesn't seem like his stuff has suffered, uh, as you pointed out, his stuff is still really good, except with the notice noted a little bit on his slider. But um, I think both these guys would be a fit and I'm, I'm not concerned about the the lefty status at all yeah and i think uh chafin would be much cheaper uh to acquire than soto especially since you know bailey you mentioned the the arbitration eligible through 2025 and also being a a lot younger so you know if you if you like both of these guys even a little bit uh similarly i think you go with chafin there um Next guy, though, is in Kansas City, right-handed pitcher, uh, the closer for the Kansas City Royals, Scott Barlow. Um, He's arbitration eligible through 2024, so a little bit of control there. Um, The other interesting thing about Barlow is that, you know, his pitch mix is fastball, slider, curveball, but he only throws his fastball 21% of the time because it's not a very good pitch for him. It's kind of a low velo fastball. Um, but he gets guys out with his slider and his curveball combination. That's a little bit of a different look. Um, you know, would would either of you two be interested in somebody more in that profile of, of more of an off-speed guy? Uh, you know, it's, it'd be maybe potentially a, a little different look from some of the guys. Like, we have a lot of hot throwers out there, so maybe getting... You know, you can throw somebody with just like a little bit of a different look, but I don't know. It's just like it's so it's so tough because I just feel like no matter what happens, it's going to be something that we're not all thinking of it. Because Heim Bloom's like mind works just so different from ours, and then you know he goes out and he gets like a, a Hansel Robles, and people like freak out on Twitter. And then Robles was really good down the stretch in 2021, and outside of you know going on the IL has been relatively solid for the Red Sox now in 2022. So it's, you know, like we're going to like talk in a moment about, you know, like the, the prize being David Bednar, but just knowing like what that would cost versus, you know, um, so going with somebody that, you know, isn't as flashy and could maybe get the job done. So who knows? We might be talking about Scott Barlow coming over here and just doing really great things for the Red Sox. It's just, it's so hard to gauge like what High and Bloom's like mind is working on. 
I haven't been able to figure out his mind at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it depending on who it was. Like, those guys can close out game, games with, like, specific traits, right? Like, Brandon Workman's fastball tops out at, like, 92. But it was how it played off of his absurd curveball. And he could strike out, like, 13 per nine. And there was the total package was so good that it worked. I don't know if that the total package is completely there with Barlow to that extent. Um, so I'm not entirely sold on that being. I mean, I guess we're not necessarily looking for a closer specifically. We just you just did a high leverage, right? So yeah, maybe that would work. I'm not against know. it. I'm kind of looking for a closer at this point. You know, we've talked about the the value of roles, and and I think you're right that like, you know, it doesn't need to be mm-hmm. specifically a closer type, but man, it, it would kind of be nice to have a guy come in here who just clearly is the closer. But I don't know if I yeah. love the idea of bringing bringing a guy who's been pretty good but not amazing uh, in the AL Central over to. The AL East, where there mm-hmm. are four teams who can absolutely mash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Might get a little dicey. Mm-hmm. Um, we have two Barlows to talk about, though. So our next Barlows from Texas, Joe Barlow, uh, right-handed pitcher as well. He's either team-controlled or arbitration-eligible through 2027. So a tremendous amount of control here with Barlow. He's currently serving as the closer there, but they have a couple guys coming back from injury who could also serve as a closer, so he might be somebody that they decide to shop. His pitch mix is fastball, slider, curveball. Fastball is 94 miles an hour. Slider's 87. Curveball's 81. He's very slider reliant, though, um, and that's his best pitch by far. Uh, Keaton, which which of the Barlows do you like better here? Do you like Joe better than Scott? I don't think that I do, particularly if we're looking for, like, specifically a closer. Um, I mean, Joe cruised through the minors, striking out an absurd amount of guys, then got to the majors and just has not been able to repeat that success. Um, and so I, I mean, maybe if he is only 26 and has an extremely small amount of service time acquired, um, so he would probably cost a lot and is still kind of like under development there. So I feel like Texas probably would be hesitant to let him go because they believe they're. Uh, that's the close of the future there. Um, so maybe that's the reason. I'm mean, also part of, um, you know, still building up on the strikeouts and the, the pitching to uh, major leaguers and, you know, building up that stamina. So I'm not, I think it would be more difficult to acquire Joe. And I think from a stuff perspective, I'd rather have Scott's. Yeah, at least he's got the two out pitches. Yeah. Uh, are Are you with with Keaton on this? Uh, yeah. Scott better than Joe? Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm like looking now more in like Joe's numbers again. Like Keaton was speaking, they are a smaller sample size, but this season it's it's pretty yikes in a lot yeah. of things um, that we're seeing here. And then if you look at the deeper numbers, you see oh two twenty one ERA, but then you really look 
he's got like a 447 FIP, a 603 expected ERA, and like his war is negative 0.1. So like I don't see anything that's jumping out at me outside of having an extreme amount of control. Like through 2027 is crazy. So outside of that and believing that there is something like you did say, like breezing through the minors with, you know, high strikeout rates, thinking that like, oh, we work with him. We're going to get that type of pitcher back outside of that. And I don't really see much of a, of a value unless you're not giving up much for him. But because of the control, like you said, you're probably going to be giving up more for, for Joe Barlow over Scott Barlow. Yeah. And the other thing here is with Texas, like there's rumors floating around that Texas might be looking to sell that franchise and and that might be one of the reasons why they went out and spent all this money on free agents to try and make it a little bit more of an attractive team so it's not even clear to me that texas even with their their poor record uh right now is going to be sellers considering what they uh spent Mm -hmm. uh, on that team and and i think that that could be said for our next team here the seattle mariners a team who uh, many people predicted to make the playoffs this year and break that drought that they have mm-hmm. going on. They've got just a tremendous amount of young talent coming up. Julio Rodriguez, uh, Jared Kalanick, who's definitely struggled a lot. But two guys who they have that I found that were, were kind of interesting was uh, Paul Seawald, who's part of their closer committee there, right-handed pitcher. And then Ken Giles, who's a right-handed pitcher, who really hasn't thrown since 2020, uh, where he went on under um, Tommy John surgery. So Seawald's arbitration eligible through 2024. Giles has a really interesting contract. He's making $5.25 million this year, and he's got a $9.5 million club option for 2023. Um, both of these guys have exactly the same pitch mix, both fastball slider guys. Uh, Seawald's healthy, has two good pitches. Ken Giles hasn't been healthy, uh, but is arguably a far better closer when he is right. Um, so, uh, Bailey, the, either of these two guys interest you. Ken Giles is always going to sort of interest me in a way of like, this guy is insane. I mean, he punched himself in the face <laughs> like, because he was so upset that, you know, he didn't execute as a closer. So like, that's the kind of mentality that you want from a closer. Just if you're going to punch yourself in the face, I'm all for it. But like you say, what is Ken Giles post Tommy John is the tricky part. Are the Red Sox willing to take on? take it on and sort of go with it and hoping that like, you know, 9.5 million could be a steal for, of a club option in 2023. Are you thinking that, or are you going with somebody like the idea of like Paul Seawald, like, especially since you said has the same pitch mix as Ken Giles, younger um, arbitration, you know, you have them under control through 2024. So is that, that seems like more of a, of a, of a a guarantee to help you now whereas ken giles is a little more of like a a little he's more of a james paxton like what what are you going to help me with the following season like could i get a little something out of you now yeah great that'd be awesome but you're more of my future type of a situation yeah and i think that's the big thing here is that um giles strikes me as the the really interesting guy because you know, for a big money club like the Red Sox, you can take those risks where yeah. smaller market clubs can't. Mm-hmm. And $9.5 million if you're getting vintage Ken Giles, if he's all the way back in 2023, uh, that's absolutely fine for, mm-hmm. for what he can give you. And, and Keaton, I know that he's been one of your favorite relief pitchers uh, when he's been healthy. I mean, is, is that something that you'd look at, especially since 
I got to think that the cost for acquiring him from Seattle uh, with all the relief options that they have would not be very high. Yeah, but I think Bailey hit on it. Like, we're not really in a position where we can wait and see what we can get out of a guy. We kind of need the help now. So I, down the road, I would uh, be happy to reevaluate. But I think right now we're looking for someone to be able to step on the mound and immediately help. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, the The bullpen needs it right now, not later. So, Also, fun little note with Paul Seawald as I'm looking at his stat line. Uh, the last three seasons, his unclassifiable pitches have gone from 0% to 1.6% to 2.7% this year, which is kind of a fun note. <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, his pitch was they could not identify what pitch he threw. <laughs> it's a UFO? <laughs> yeah. That's fun. That's a fun little note. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. Um, Three, 3% of your pitches not being able to be classified is kind of a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's actually a much larger margin for error than I was expecting you to say. Yeah. And it just continues to rise. So that's, that's kind of fun. That is bizarre. All right, our next guy here is Tanner Rainey uh, from the lowly Washington Nationals. It makes me sad to see Juan Soto toiling away on a last-place club. Um, but Rainey is much like uh, Seawald and Giles. He's a fastball slider guy. Um, neither pitches are standout uh, for him. He's, he throws his fastball around 96 miles an hour, his slider around 87. Uh, both solid, but not you know not not anything overpowering. He had to really kind of wrestle that job away from uh, Kyle Finnegan. It's not even clear whether or not um, Tanner Rainey is the long, long-term long option. He is eligible through 2025. Uh, Keaton, any interest here in Tanner Rainey? Mm, I don't think so. Bailey? I mean, there is to a point, like I'm looking at his numbers, like a 263 FIP. Uh, if you really look at his Savant page, like he, he's, it's, it's encouraging, but I think it really just comes down to, you know, how much are you willing to give up for, for a Tannerini? I think that really comes down to everything. Like how much are you willing to give up for, for any of them, really? Yeah, it's a... I, I, yeah, that's the type of guy. Like, our, our eligible through mm-hmm. 2025, you're going to have to pay up yeah. a little bit for, for someone's closer at that point. And I just mm-hmm. don't know that he's really going to be worth whatever the cost is there. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm not, not my favorite on this list. Uh, Arizona has two interesting guys. Uh, Mark Melanson, old friend, uh, <laughs> who, who, is, who left the team and then was immediately good. Yeah, um, gotta love it. Yeah, gotta gotta love those type of guys. Um, Six million dollar deal in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three, um, with a mutual club option or mutual option um, for twenty twenty four, and then Ian Kennedy, um, who you know, old friend from the Yankees, uh-huh. uh, way way back. Um, both right handed pitchers. Four point five million dollar deal for Ian Kennedy. He also has a mutual option for twenty twenty three. Kind of weird pitch mixes uh, here for, for these two guys. If you're not familiar with them, uh, Melanson is a cutter curveball guy. Uh, cutter comes in at 90 miles an hour, curveballs at 81. 
Uh, his curveball was traditionally an out pitch for him, but it hasn't really been very good at all this year. It's been pretty bad. He's been performing really bad this year, but still has that closer's job. Uh, Ian Kennedy is a bizarre pitcher. Uh, 83% fastball guy for a late-inning guy, but he only throws at 93 miles an hour. And he also throws a cutter, a changeup, a slider, and a curveball, all 5% or less. Uh, so he's he's throwing the the whole toolbox at you. Um, but the, the kicker here is that the fastball is his only pitch that's actually uh, above average at this point. So none of those uh, off-speeds... Or, or, or breaking pitches are particularly good. Um, both of these guys are 37 years old. They're not making a ton of money. They're not dominant. Either of you guys in love with either of these options? I was with Melanson to start the season, but he's really kind of mm-hmm. come off the rails. Uh, and all of his, you know, it's FIP, business ex-FIP, all that kind of backup that, um, he's probably not getting back on him anytime soon. So this might be the end there for him. So I'm, I think I'd rather stay away. Although probably would be cheap to acquire, but I think we're looking for stronger options at this point. Yeah, what do you think, Bailey? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, it's unless you get them for literally peanuts, no thank you. Like I'm, I'm literally looking deeper into both of them, and it's – disgusting not in a good way (laughs) like it's 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 pretty it's bad and i it's it's bad for both of them but is it i don't i don't know is unless you're like just straight up like i want the depth and i it's again costing you absolutely nothing sure fine but i just feel like i'd rather give up more to potentially just have actual value coming back to my team yeah, maybe the clearest sign here that Bloom's not interested in any of these guys is that uh, Melanson, Kennedy, and uh, Andrew Chafin were all free agents this past year, and Bloom did not move to sign any of them. So um, that might tell you everything you need to know. Uh, the last two guys on our list are extremely interesting. Um, David Bednar from Pittsburgh. He's our eligible through 2026. Um, he is a right-handed pitcher. Uh, who is just tremendous. He's been dominant this year. Mm-hmm. Um, his pitch mix is really interesting. It's fastball, curveball, split finger. Um, I absolutely love splitters, so uh, that makes me super-duper happy. Um, fastball, curveball, splitter. Uh, fastball comes in at 97, curveball at 77, split finger 89 to 90. Uh, just awesome stuff. Um, he's going to be quite expensive, though. Mm-hmm. Uh Bailey, are you willing to pay up for David Bednar? What do you think it might take? Okay, so he's disgusting in a good way. Like, absolutely filthy. But, yeah, we were talking a little earlier uh, before, you know, jumping on to, you know, start recording about, like, what it's going to take. And for me, there's there's really two names that I don't want to see gone at all. And, you know, of course, Meyer is, like, the, the top name for me that... You know, we were talking outside of, you know, Juan Soto, come on down. I'm not giving up, you know, a Marcella Meyer. But at the same time, the Red Sox have the money. Just wait until, you know, uh, you know, somebody like Soto is a free agent and throw all the money at him. So, like, there's that, too. So you don't have to give up to get somebody as good as that. But with Bednar, you, you'd probably have to give up something. I don't necessarily think it's a Meyer or, you know, 
like you know it's just i don't know what it's gonna take you know there was the idea of like oh you know who's gonna say no to what was it the idea of like um giving up hauk with uh what was it it was like hauk and duran and murphy and, and murphy and even maybe dollback and then the idea of it was like oh who's gonna say no yeah they're gonna say no because <laughs> that's that's not enough but if you have to throw in somebody like york who to me is like that's my blue chip i am obsessed with nick york so if you don't have to give up marcella meyer or nick york give give everybody else for david pendar truthfully and i'll say i'll say yes but then at the same time is it gonna take a york i don't think it's gonna like i think the laugh at the idea of saying marcella meyer but is it gonna take a york to get a bednar and i don't know and if it does a part of me is like mm, i don't think i do that for for a relief pitcher truthfully yeah, I don't think it would cost that. I don't think it would cost that much. I think the the trade deal that we were we were talking about was uh, Bednar and Brian Reynolds for oh, for, for that high of a cost. Of so I I don't think it would cost one of the top three prospects. And I'm certainly not giving up Casas, York, or Mayer for mm-hmm. a relief pitcher. That Absolutely just ain't right. happening. Um, but if it's gonna cost me somebody like Duran or you know another good young position player, maybe Chris Murphy in Duran for, for David Bednar. I think you seriously have to consider that. Oh, I do that. Considering the, the control. Yep. Def. I would do that for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Last one here, David Robertson, uh, you know, old friend from the Yankees here, uh, and Phillies. He's reemerged on the North side of Chicago, uh, Keaton's territory. Actually, Keaton, you're on the South side, aren't you? No, I'm on the north side. I'm, oh, okay. I'm, this is okay. like a short little walk from Wrigley. Okay, good, good. Um, and uh, he's a righty. $3.5 million deal for 2022. Dude has been filthy this year. He has switched from throwing a regular fastball uh, to throwing a cutter 55% of the time. That comes in at 93 miles an hour. He's also got a curveball and a slider that are his two out pitches. Uh, those are 85 and 82, respectively. He throws both of those pitches over 25 or over 20% of the time, I should say. And, uh, you know, both of those breaking pitches can put guys away. Cutter avoids a lot of hard contact. I really love this stuff here from David Robertson. Um, And I'm going to give it away here. This is my favorite target uh, for the Red Sox just because I think that he's going to be affordable. I think you're going to have to give up something nice. But since he's on a one-year deal and he's old, you're not going to have to give up something that nice, and he could be your closer immediately. It is interesting. Mm. He's been good. Yeah. He might be on to something. Imagine. Imagine if we snake, like, the Yankees' (laughs) ex-closer. It's been nice. It is wild to me how good he is. Holy crap! Yeah, right. I I mean, the fact that like the that is obscene. Yeah, the whole line is this is wild. Absolutely, it's like what did he find at the age of thirty-seven? Yeah, I mean his his fastball wasn't good anymore, so he's like, I'll just pull a Mariano Rivera and uh, throw a cutter, and uh, you know he's not using his cutter as his out pitch, but he's not getting hit hard on it either. Um, so it's, it's a nice little combo of stuff here, uh, for Robertson. And I think the biggest question with him has always been health, but 
The guy's got legs like tree trunks and uh, mm-hmm. seems to be in good shape. So um, I, th- I think you'd probably have to give up a mm-hmm. prospect between like the 10 and 15 range. Um, and maybe a couple of those guys, but pfft, that's fine. Yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. totally fine with that. Oh my God, yes. All right. So my ranking here for these options would be number one, David Robertson. Number two, uh, David Bednar. Number three would be Paul Seawald. Uh, outside of those three guys, I'm not super interested in a lot of these guys. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm with you exactly. Like, Robinson Bednar, to me, are the two big ones. I mean, if you can get either of them, that, that completely change the, changes this bullpen and sends them to maybe into potentially elite territory if you just have someone that good to really, like, anchor your pen down. Yeah, I'm, I'm for that. I got one more for you. Okay. Trevor Rosenthal. Oh, yeah, he was throwing for teams, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, two He's days a free ago. Agent. Yeah. So 2020, 2020 was his last year because mm-hmm. uh, he had some a groin injury that kind of derailed his 2021. But in 2020, 11 saves, uh, 14.45 K per nine, mm-hmm. 3.04 walks per nine, a 1.9 ERA. Hmm. I mean, I, I'm there for it, but he hurt himself in his little tryout. Oh, did Great. he? Great. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that, that scratch that. <laughs> how badly? Uh, it's not clear to me how bad, but um, apparently he, uh, he he tweaked something while he was thrown. But the, the track man data on his pitches was really good. Rosenthal actually posted it himself on Twitter. Uh, a, little, a little bit of a humble brag, uh, letting people know what his spin rates were and his velo. So... Stuff looks good. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not that that man's legs can hold up. Yeah, still, still only thirty-two, or well, I guess about to turn. Oh no, just turned thirty-two. Oh, yeah. he's 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 in his prime for a pitcher. That's fine. Thirty-two yeah. is not that old. That wouldn't cost any uh, cost any prospects. Hey, maybe you do that. Maybe you do David Robertson, and you go out and sign uh, Rosenthal and see what happens. Mm-hmm. I'm for it. Yeah, two I mean, is better than one. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you take the little bit of a, or if you just want to go with one of these surefire guys and take one of them that's like a little riskier, then yeah, I'm game for that too. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's go ahead and get to the listener questions because we're going a little bit long here. Oh, um, skip the part where I could talk about Trey Mancini. I, I did that on purpose. did that on purpose <laughs> for sure. Uh, I'm gonna make you wait another week to talk about your boy Trey. Um, first question comes from Brian Joyner, who is uh, fearlessly uh, actually he's full of fear, gripped gripped with fear right now <laughs> as he attempts to uh, fill Matt Collins' shoes and run the site here. And he says, "How smart is Brian? And how lovely is Brian?" Um, Keaton, this one is tailor-made for you. Yeah, I think he did this on purpose so that I had to say nice things about him. Uh, so, don't do it, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to take the bait. You know what? I'm going to be the bigger man because he, he refused to, on his exit interview with Matt, say nice things about me. So I'm going to be the bigger man here and say, you know what, Brian, you're doing great. Good job. All right, Bailey, any notes for Brian here? No, none. Keep, keep up the good work. 
Brian, your fantasy team is trash. You'll get no compliments <laughs> from me. Next question comes from a great big lark, and he says, I understand the desire to see Whitlock back in the bullpen, uh, but if we believe he has the potential to be a top-of-the-rotation arm long-term, wouldn't we want him to go through the growing pains of being an MLB starter right now? It's an absolutely great question. I mean, I think we all envision Whitlock as being uh, part of that rotation long-term. Uh, well, I know Keaton does. Bailey, what do you think about Whitlock long-term? Do you like him as a starter, uh, or, or do you think he's better out of the bullpen? I'm 100% on the Whitlock starter train from the jump. Like, his pitch mix is just everything about it screams starting pitcher. He was his entire career up until Tommy John and then the Rule 5 and keeping him in the bullpen to make sure that he's on the roster for the entirety of 2021 made much more sense to keep him in the bullpen. I was genuinely shocked that they started this transition into starting now because I thought for sure that it was going to be sticking in the bullpen for 2022 and then because of you know the grueling nature that it is to be a starting pitcher I thought they would have just begun you know the offseason of 2022 getting into 2023 and just throwing him in you know having a full offseason getting ready to start so you are seeing you're right growing pains because he was sort of thrown into this and it's going to be an adjustment period, and I think you'll see him get better as the season progresses if you truly keep him in this role and get him ready into 2023 as, as a starter. Because the idea of yo-yoing him, I, I just don't think that's good for his development. Yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic point. Keaton, where do you fall on this? I, we've talked about this a lot, and I think – you know, Bailey's right, and I think Great Big Lark is right, too. It, it is tough to yo-yo a guy between those two roles, and he acts like it doesn't matter because he's just got such a low pulse, but, you know, it, it has to matter at least somewhat, and if you are planning on having him, it is a great point that you probably do want to have him go through these lumps right now. Yeah, you do. I mean, really the desire to have him go back to the pen is just because the bullpen is bad and it's costing them wins. So, like, I mean, ideally – this would be solved by uh, signing somebody that we just outlined to go finish games for you, get the wins, and then you can leave him as a starter, and then we're good. Yeah. And especially, you know, they have done a couple things uh, since we last spoke. Last last podcast, we talked a lot about the bullpen and the fact that we wanted to see Tanner Houck in more of a uh, late-inning, one-inning role type thing. Um, and, and that's actually what they've done with Hauk, and that's stabilized things here now. Um, and I wrote about this last week, outlining some of the internal solutions in the bullpen, and I think there are a lot of buttons they can still press um, before going back to Whitlock. So, yeah, I, I'm, I've kind of switched my stance on this a few different times throughout the year. I was fully Whitlock starter. Then I was like, well, the bullpen's so bad. But now I'm like, okay. Let the man start. We'll figure out the bullpen. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with a great big lark. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patty O.D. has our next question. He says, let's say Chris Sale is back in July and the Red Sox rotation is unchanged. Who do you boot from the rotation? Or would you uh, use Sale out of the bullpen and let him work his way back into the rotation? Uh, Keaton, let's start with you on this one. What do you think? Maybe that's the answer all along. Chris Sale's the closer. Okay, well, he did uh, close out the 2018 World Series, so that looked pretty good. Yeah. Do you really think they'll use him that way? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, I don't. Um, I mean, I wouldn't if you – I mean, 
to to build him back up, maybe. Yeah, I don't. That doesn't make a lot of sense. No, he's going back to the rotation. It's. I mean, it probably is Whitlock. I mean, if everybody is pitching the way that they are now, I don't think you can take. You're not taking Pavetta out. You're not taking Waka out. I mean, Hill, I guess, maybe would be the odd man out at this point. Yeah. He but he's sucks. also still pitching really good. Eh. And I don't, I, don't, I don't, he can't be as utilized in the bullpen like Whitlock would. So I think Whitlock would be the guy that gets bounced. What do you think? Because he actually has a bullpen role. Mm. Um, I, yes, it makes sense to put Whitlock back into it, but I think that could be counterproductive to the yeah. overall nature of him being being the um, starting pitcher that I think they, they want him to be and I want him to be. So I think the odd man out in that scenario is definitely Rich Hill, but how does he transition into the pen? And you're not putting a $31 million a year pitcher as your closer. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care if, even if it's just temporary. I'm sorry. God, no. <laughs> yeah, no way in hell. Uh, <laughs> Chris Sale would have to be restrained by security uh, if yeah. they uh, wanted to to put him in the bullpen. Um, he he wants to throw some innings, so and I want Sale in the rotation as well. Absolutely. Um, I think it's Hill who gets kicked mm-hmm. out, and I think maybe you have to trade Hill. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Send him into an early retirement. That's fine too. <laughs> I don't care. Um, Brother Bob has our last two questions. Uh, his first one says, was it Cora's beard? Uh, talking about Cora shaving the beard and the Red Sox going 20-8 and eight since then. What do you guys think? Was it the facial hair? No, it wasn't. As much as we love to believe in superstitions, it was not. They, they just, it was a culmination of so many things working against them and things coming together at the right time i you know i liked the beard i was a fan of that salt and pepper so i was sad <laughs> to see it go but uh yeah i don't necessarily think that things like that are you know actually play a factor into things as much as i still am a superstitious person i still am like no it doesn't matter where i sit that's not gonna ha- like be part of the end of the <laughs> game like it's not gonna determine how the game ends but <laughs> all i could think of with cora's beard was that uh just for men commercial where it's like uh your salt and pepper beard shows that you still have energy but you also have experience um you know it's uh it was a pretty nice salt and pepper beard so i actually uh respect the hell out of the beard and i would i would have him bring it back because i am with you billy i don't think it matters at all what do you think keaton well i think it's my superstitions that affect the team not anybody else's it's just (laughs) mine true so no, I don't think his beard affected anything, but it's definitely what I do affects everything. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and the last question here comes from Brother Bob as well, and he says, will the AL East fill all of the wild card spots? Uh, meaning, you know, the Yankees are running away with this thing right now, but yeah. Tampa, Toronto, and Boston all look pretty damn good. You guys think they end up getting all three of the wild card spots? Well, that was my prediction in our uh, season preview. I had all three as the wild cards, so uh, I'm gonna stick with it and say yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I think so. I just feel like who's who's better, really. I don't really see anybody being better than any of the teams that we just mentioned, truthfully. Yeah, this division's absolutely disgusting. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. I said preseason that I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, 
Any order that those top four teams finish in? I wasn't expecting the Yankees to be the 98 Yankees uh, this year. Um, that really pisses me off, but it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, I, I actually i am going to change my prediction uh, from preseason. I, I had Seattle uh, being one of those wildcard teams, and I no longer think uh, Seattle has the stuff to do it. So, yeah, ALE's party. Here we go. All right. Well, speaking of parties, our party is over tonight. Uh, thank you two for joining us. You can find Bailey on Twitter at, at Frowline89. You can find Keaton at, at Spoken Keats. You can find me at, at DevJake. And you can find the Over the Monster account and Brian Joyner's mediocre tweets at Over the Monster. Uh, sub- subscribe to our channel, rate and review, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, tell Keaton how great blueberries are. Uh, and uh, Keaton. Uh, we'll also uh, respond to direct messages asking uh, him what other players he would eat a poop for uh, to come to the Red Sox. And I think I think I can speak for Keaton here in saying that he would eat a poop to get Mookie Betts back. Yeah, I would. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a perfect way to end the show. Uh, so, Bailey, thank you for joining us. Thank it was you. nice to have you on the show for the first time. It was great. Awesome. And uh, I'm not going to ask you the same question I asked Keaton. Um, And uh, Keaton, have a great rest of your day. And I hope you don't eat anything bad.